There are some passages of Scripture that are just as mysterious as they are revelatory. Hard as we try, we can't separate the joy from the terror or the terror from the awe. The fear and trembling are inseparable from the amazement and the elation, the transfiguration, the transfiguration of Jesus has power both to mystify us as we wonder about who God is. It also has the power to clarify our understanding about who God is in Jesus Christ. We may look upon the transfigured Jesus today and begin to realize just how little we understand about the one who is very God and very human. And yet we may also look upon the transfigured Jesus today and begin in this bewildering moment to see a clearer truth about who Jesus really is, to grasp this knowledge in all its fullness, and to begin to wrestle with the crucial disclosure we're about to receive from a voice in the cloud. Today, Transfiguration Sunday, we learn, we see, we realize less about who God is than ever before, and more about who God is than ever before. Now, if we're listening to Mark preach this gospel as if it were a sermon, we're just now reaching the halfway mark. At this halfway mark, Jesus leads a few of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain apart, the scripture says, up a high mountain apart by themselves, then the extraordinary event, Jesus transfigured, metamorphosis. Mark says not only that he's transfigured, but also that his clothes become whiter than the naked eye can perceive. I find it easier to imagine the clothes turning white, don't you? even indescribably bright, then I can imagine his face being transfigured. I do wonder what they're seeing. I wonder why Mark doesn't describe the details. Whatever is happening, though, Jesus is changing before them. He's glowing. He's shining. He is luminescent. He's phosphorescent. He somehow exists in time and outside of time in the same moment. Moses and Elijah, long dead, appear beside him, not as mere icons, but as living bodily beings in conversation with this living, breathing Jesus. Peter, dumbfounded, begins talking ignorantly, I know how he feels, about building tents for each of them until a cloud overshadows them. And a voice from the cloud says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now take a look at Peter, James, and John. Mark says they're terrified. They're terrified before the cloud and before the voice in the cloud. On Easter Sunday, we're going to hear more about terror. At the end of Mark, when the, the women run away from the tomb and the man dressed in white at that tomb, they run for terror and amazement 
had seized them. But it's a different kind of terror for the women, more of a a trembling with, with fear, a fear mixed with adrenaline and excitement. What Peter and, and James and John are experiencing is a different word and a different kind of fear. These men are too afraid to run. They're frozen solid. If I were translating it, I'd use that a good old Irish term. That they had the bejesus scared out of them. Then the cloud comes and the voice from the cloud. Now, I believe it's the cloud and the voice from the cloud that add the clarity to the bewilderment and begin to offer this stunning confirmation of which I'm speaking. So if you will humor me for a moment, and I've never really had uh, acting class, but if you'll humor me for a moment and allow me to offer some of my own facial expressions just to try to embody what I believe the disciples are going through at this moment. At first, there's this kind of look on their face not, not a mirror to the transfigured face of Jesus, but almost an opposite. What I imagine to be the opposite of Jesus' face. Their face is at one and the same stunned. It's just a kind of an awe, a shock. <gasps> a wide eyes, a mouth agape, the face spreading apart, shortness of breath. <gasps> And then this facial expression turns to terror. And not just any kind of terror, but a shaking terror, a a loss of breath, a a hair standing on the back of your neck, goosebumps, cold sweat. That kind of terror. But then I believe, Once the cloud overshadows them and the voice speaks and said, this is my beloved, listen to him, then a different kind of more profound, richer, deeper kind of terror settles in on them. And it's a terror of apprehension, of acknowledgement, of a a new realization. So it moves from stunning shock to terror to This is an expression of terror that rises out of this comprehension, a new understanding, the terror induced by a stunning confirmation that Jesus is indeed indeed God's son, that Moses and Elijah are prophets, yes, and peerless prophets of the ages, but Jesus is God's son. Jesus and no one else, only Jesus, Jesus alone reveals to us the fullness of God. And if Jesus is God's son, and we must listen to him above all others, then we can no longer disregard his teachings as merely religious or too downright or too odd or too lofty or too strange. It was only a week earlier, Jesus and the disciples are walking from Bethsaida to uh, Caesarea Philippi. The conversation dies down for just a moment, and in the silence, they're lifting their eyes up to the hills and enjoying the scenery and the, and the quiet that friends know how to enjoy with each other until Jesus breaks the silence with a quiz. 
Who do people say that I am? And the disciples begin responding, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Still others say you're one of the prophets. Jesus ponders these things in his heart. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you remember, says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus teaches them something shocking, strange, unbelievable, stunning. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, basically by the church and its pastors, and be killed. And after three days rise again. He wasn't speaking in parables now. He's not using metaphors. He's not being indirect and inviting them to to sort of come along and make of it what they will. No, he's speaking plainly now. The truth, all out in the open. Do you know what Peter does then? He gets Jesus off to the side. (laughs) I can imagine putting his arm around him. Now, Jesus. Now, that's no way for a Messiah to talk. Now you're the Messiah, and, and we've got great hopes for you, and, and we're, we're looking forward to crowning you with, with many crowns, Jesus. Now this is, I don't know what's gotten into you. You can't talk like this. This is not going to happen to you. Messiah's not meant for suffering. Messiah's not meant for dying. Suffering and death aren't your destiny. But now, now that they're up on that high mountain and the cloud has engulfed them and the Ancient of Days commands them all to listen to him, the realization begins to dawn, the apprehension, the the comprehension, the new understanding, the revelation begins to dawn on all of them, on Peter and the others, that they may all they may all be on their way to a crucifixion. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering. Listen to him. And be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Listen to him. And be killed. Listen to him. I believe Transfiguration Sunday holds many deep meanings for us all. It is a fantastic moment. In all of Scripture, it's disorienting and bewildering and wonderful and amazing and terrifying all at the same time. We know less about God than ever in this moment and about Jesus Christ and more about God and Jesus Christ than ever to this point. But the one meaning I wish to underline today is this stunning confirmation of a Messiah who has told us plainly that God suffers to save us. Ha! Ah, the way of the world is to trample, gouge, and blast, to win at all costs, to dominate, to pillage, to plunder, to storm, to raid, to insurrect, to conquer, to control. 
But up on this high mountain, mystery gives way to a new clarity, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the one in and through whom all things come into being will save us by turning the other cheek, loving his enemies, praying for those who persecute him, rejecting all violence, and by dying for us rather than destroying us and starting all over again. Mark doesn't describe his transfigured face to us, but we do know what we're seeing when we look at this amazing sight in our imaginations. You can really see him if you try. When we behold him bright as the sun, what we are seeing is the very grain of the universe, the mystery of God disclosed. That's such a stunning and challenging thing to accept. It's so unbelievable that even Jesus hedges on it. Later in the gospel, Jesus excuses the disciples. This is when they all fall asleep on the most exciting night in all of human history. He goes away to pray by himself. And what does he say in that prayer? He says, Abba, Papa. Please take this cup away from me. But not my will, but your will be done. This cup of suffering love where I, I have to give my life and forgive and pour out myself and completely entrust my whole soul to you. Let this pass for me. But Mark begins with the stunning affirmation. Jesus is baptized. The sky is ripped open. And the voice of the Ancient of Days says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then on the top of that high mountain, the Ancient of Days says it again. Now enveloped in a cloud, the voice comes, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. And right after Jesus breathes his last, a human being says it. A centurion of all people says it. He sees the way that Jesus breathes his last, and he joins in the stunning confirmation. And he says, surely, this was him. This was God's son. Isn't it good news? Eventually, we're all convinced. 